Holy Father God, we just thank you for your grace on us. So God, I pray that as a church, I pray that the glory of your name would be the passion of our church. So God, I pray that would be the true for all the churches that are preaching the gospel around this area. And so this morning, God, I specifically ask that you would lift up Samanac Baptists. They're having a special time of prayer. So God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would meet with them in a very unique and powerful way this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us as a church that we would be open and obedient and respond to you by faith in your grace. Lord, I just want to lift up all those who are struggling. Be with Betty and John and Renee and her family and Pat and Dave. And even those, the ones that I didn't mention, who are just going through many difficult things. You are in control and help us just to trust in you. Give them grace and peace as they go through this. God, I pray that you as a church we would respond in love and we live out what we say we believe. And help us to know who we are in you. Thank you that we are sons and daughters of you. Help us to know that today, leave here encouraged by that today. If there is someone here who does not know you and is not yet a son or a daughter of you, I pray that you would move, Holy Spirit, and wake them up to their need and they would receive you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're working our way through the book of... Galatians, and it says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In this unbelievably theologically packed portion of Galatians, filled with all kinds of gospel truth and treasures, we're going to start with verse 11. Because with less than 10 words, Paul says something to this church at Galatia that would have woken them up from their daydreaming and should have shocked them and made them stop and consider what exactly they're doing in their life and examine themselves. Look what it says. It says, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. That is a question he's wondering, I I preached to you, I gave the gospel to you, you started to follow the gospel, now you're walking away from the gospel, so much so that I'm not even sure you really got the gospel, I'm not really sure you are believers, I'm not really sure you understood it, I'm almost wondering, is all my effort on your behalf, was it just in vain? And Paul calls us, and he called them to examine themselves, to see what is the true gospel, of Christianity and what is religious duty. 
because the one will lead to life and the other will lead and reinforce spiritual death. So it's very important. It's almost shocking that Paul put this in there because he's been pleading with these people. He's loved these people. And all of a sudden, as he's pouring out his heart to them, he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And he wants them to examine themselves and wake them up and say, really, are you really in the faith? Because if you're really in the faith, you will persevere to the end. One of the, the great truths about faith is people who truly believe the gospel. The Bible says, will persevere to the end. You will persevere to the end. If you don't persevere to the end, you never really believed the gospel is what the Bible says. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 3, and Philippians 2. All those passages is important that we examine ourselves. But we don't like exams, do we? Exams are, are not very, uh, they're not fun. I remember in seminary, I was taking a Greek class, and it was towards the final. And I've been through a lot of, uh, it's probably the most, one of the most stressful experiences of my life. And I've been through some experiences since then that are pretty stressful, but this one still rates up there way up high. Because an exam is tough. We don't like it. If you're out of school, it's just kind of like this, either this bad memory. And if you're in school right now and you're going to get exams, it's just like this dark, heavy cloud that hangs over you, isn't it? Because it's just like, I know I'm going to be tested. I don't like to be tested. And it's just this weight that is constantly on us. But I was in this class. I, I needed to pass. I was struggling with the class. I had worked really late. I had other te- tests I was, I was taking. So I sit down to take this exam. I was worried about it. I was panicked. So I sat down to take the test, and it just, everything went blank. My mind just completely froze up, and I panicked. So much so that I'm almost sweating that the professor looks up, uh, and he says, "Uh, Paul, are you okay? You look like you're ready to pass out. And I'm like, that's because I am. I am dying here in this. uh, We don't like exams because they're difficult. Uh, They're not fun, but the Bible says this. We need to examine ourselves, and when it comes to our faith, we must examine ourselves. The Bible talks about examining yourselves, make sure you are in the faith. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, I think it's some of the scariest verses in the Bible, and I'm not reading them to scare you. I don't want to scare anybody who is in the faith, but I want us to know the importance of examining ourselves. That's what Paul's calling these people to do. He says, I, I labored with you. I've called you brothers, but the way you're living, the way you're following the gospel right now, I'm not even sure you got it. And you better wake up and examine and see if you're really in the faith. Matthew 7, verse 21 says this. Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, listen to this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." These are people who thought they were in the faith. These are people who they thought they knew the gospel. They were even doing things that seemed like mighty works in God's name. And Jesus is going to say to them, many of them, depart from me, I never knew you. I can't understand that. But what I can say is we, who are not there yet, better examine ourselves and make sure we are in the faith. I think that's what Paul's trying to wake these people up here in Galatians. He is wanting them to say, listen, 
The problem here with this church was they started out right in the gospel. And then these Judaizers came in, these people from the Jewish uh, who believed in Jesus, but were also trying to live their life by the law. And they said, if you really are in, you have to do a bunch of things. You have to do some ceremonial laws. And the biggest thing is you've got to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you, it's got to be Jesus, circumcision, and the law. If you do those things, then you're right with God. And Paul came in and said, no, that's not the gospel that I preached you. That's not how you get right with God. That's not how you have a right standing with God. These people wanted to know it. But they started to go the wrong way, so much so that even Paul, who preached to them and saw great things, says to them, I'm not even sure my labors were effective. He's trying to shock them to say, hey, check yourself out, examine yourself, and see if you are really in the faith, if you really know what the gospel is. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want you guys, I want us to examine ourselves and the truths of the sonship of the glory of the freedom that we can have in Christ. It is glorious. But we need to examine ourselves and we want to be sure two things. As you go through, as you listen this morning, I want you to do two things. I want us to be sure at the end that one, that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your right standing with God. And then two, that we are fully embracing the power of our stand in Christ. Because both of those things can get us wrong. We want to be clear on that. And the exam that Paul gives has three questions. He gives three questions back at the beginning, and here's, here's the questions. The good news about this test is that he gives the questions, and then he gives the right answers. And it's your response to the right answers that matters. So he's going to give you the test, he's going to give you the answers, and how you have responded to these answers is ultimately what literally will matter in your life. Here's the first one. It says this. The questions are this. What are you without Jesus Christ? What did God do through Jesus Christ for you? And what are you in Christ? Question one. What are you without Jesus Christ? Verses one through three says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Paul starts out with, he's just been given this whole argument of, that's not the gospel. Don't follow traditions. Don't follow law. It's Jesus Christ alone. And he gives a human example, and he says this. He says, an heir, as long as he is a child, he's just like a slave. It's just, it's the, an heir is like an infant baby. He's using a hil- human illustrations. So if you take a little two-year-old or three-year-old who is the heir to a great fortune, and you put the two of them together, he doesn't know who he is. And from his point of view, he's just like the slave child. When back in this day, that slavery was per- the predominant lifestyle of most of the people who lived in the Greek and Roman society. There were, there were slaves everywhere. And the difference between their, that type of slavery and the type of slavery we're familiar with is back then, they, they didn't look any different. There was, they, they dressed the same. You, they, they were productive. Slaves were doctors. Slaves had some great jobs. But they were owned by somebody. And as you walked around Rome in those days, you would not be able to tell the difference for the most part between who was a slave and who was a free person. It was a whole different type of system. And that's the system that Paul was talking to these people about, and they would understand it. It's almost shocking. Because freedom was everything. If you could buy your freedom, that's what you were living your life for. If you could earn your freedom, it was spectacular. It didn't happen often. But if you were a free person, unbelievable freedom was there for you in Rome. And Paul says this, 
What you are without Jesus Christ is a slave. You are a slave. That's the answer to the question. He says this. When you were... A slave has no power, and a slave has no position. And Paul says, why? Why would you go back to want to do the things of the law, to earn your right standing with God? Why would you try to think that you could earn it by doing things when the law was just a temporary thing? The whole point of the law, as we saw, was God made a promise to Abraham, and then he wanted to make people see and know the promise was going to come, and so he gave them the law to point out to them that, one, they can't earn their right standing by God on their own, that they are sinners, and two, that somebody needed to live the right standard, and Jesus was the one who did that. So the whole point of the law was to point people to Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the law. It was supposed to be a temporary thing. When Jesus came, the law was done. The law is done when, since Jesus has come. And these people are saying, no, I want to go back to the law. Who would do that? It's like an heir to a fortune wanting to be a slave again. It's not what you do. It's ridiculous. But that's what we are without Christ. And he's speaking to the Jews. He's saying, you Jews, you people who are trying to earn your way to God by the law, by doing things, you're a slave. You're an absolute slave. And to you Greeks who don't follow the Jewish law, look what he says in verses 8 and 9, formerly, when you did not know God, you were also enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? This is why the law is weak, and this is why the elementary principles that the Jews or the Gentiles, they, they would worship the sun, or they would worship an idol. Those are just the basics, the ABCs of religion. And Paul says they're weak and they're worthless. They're weak because they have no strength in themselves to redeem you. And they are worthless because they have no value or benefit to you. Why go back to them to earn your right standing with God? You're stuck. But what he says also is that they are the elementary principles of the world. And Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of darkness. He is the prince right now of the world. And he is taking those things and enslaving people. And he's enslaving some of you. The Bible says in 1 John that the whole world lies in darkness. It's like Satan, when, we, when people sinned and went against God, fell into Satan's lap. And Satan now will take the law, which is a good thing that God gave, God's moral will for us. He'll take the law and he'll twist it. And he'll say, you want to be right with God? That's fine, follow the law. But you're in my lap. And I'll twist it and make you think that you could do good things. You can be moral. You can go to church. You can give. You can do all kinds of nice things. And, and that will earn you right standing with God. That's fine if you want to believe that. But you're still in my lap. And he'll tell other people, live how you want. Pick your own master. You want to be into drugs? Pick drugs. If you want to be into sex, pick sex. If you want to be into power, pick power. You can pick whatever master you want, but you're still a slave. And it will control you. And Satan has the world on his lap because we are slaves without Christ. What are you looking for for your freedom? 
Are you still trying to find it in something else? That's what we all are craving. Freedom, but the Bible says, if you try to do it by religion, it's law. If you try to do it by things that you're doing, that's just religion. Just try to make yourself worthy before God. That's not going to get it to you that you're a slave. And Satan says, fine, do it that way. I'll just twist it. You keep trying all you want and hope that maybe you'll be good enough. You're not going to be good enough. You are a slave to that. Or just forget God and live however you want. That's fine. Do whatever you want. Live. Find whatever escape of life you want, but you're still a slave. And that thing will destroy you. What are you trying to find your freedom in? What you are without Jesus Christ, what we are without Jesus Christ, Paul says, is a slave. We're like this heir who's a baby, doesn't even know who he is, next to a slave. It looks like the same thing, but he says this, but he is under guardians and managers. And back in Paul's time with the slaves, they would have a slave and the heir would be under the control of the slave. And the slave would make sure he got to school on time, make sure he followed mom and dad's rules until he was able to get to a certain age and then they would say, you're now a full son. You are a mature adult son. Now you are free to live like a mature adult son. And Paul's trying to get us and trying to get you and trying to get these people to live like we are if we are in Christ. But what you are without Christ is a slave. If you try to earn your way to God through law or through any other way, you're just a slave. And that's not the gospel. And you're not free. Paul says this. The motivation, though, for us that know Christ is this. Why we should tell other people who are slaves that they can be free? It says in verse 4, Verse 2, but, but is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. That's what God did. He, as an as a infant, he doesn't know that he owns everything. As far as he's concerned, he's a slave. But we can go. And there are people out in the world who are slaves to sin, and they don't know that they have been given to God, and they are, there has been a time set when they are going to come to Christ. The Father set that time, and he's going to wake them up to the truth. So when we go out and tell people about Jesus, we're not going out there blind. We are going out there knowing that somewhere out in the world there are heirs of Christ waiting for the Father to wake them up, waiting for that set time. It's like this is motivation for evangelism. Because as we go out, we're not like kids who want to have an Easter egg hunt. Mom and Dad said, I'm not putting any eggs out. There's no eggs out there. And they're like, well, I want to have an Easter egg hunt. And Mom and Dad, no. Fine, I'm going out for the Easter egg hunt. And two kids, they, they run out to the Easter egg hunt, and there's no eggs. That's frustrating. What are they going to do? They're going to start picking up rocks and put them in the basket and say, this is an egg. And they will start twisting the gospel. We can't do that. Our hope as believers is that when you go out to work this week and share the gospel, or when you look for people in your neighborhood to share the gospel, with, what you can know with confidence that there are heirs of God out there waiting for that set time that the Father has given them when they will wake up to the truth. So give the gospel. But then Paul says this, what did God do for you through Jesus Christ? Verses four through six says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as 
sons. Paul's painting the big overall picture of the world. He says, this is what God did for us, you slaves who rebelled against me. This is what he did for you. Those of you who are in bondage without really any hope whatsoever, unless somebody came in to help you out. He set the time. He set a time at the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, where thousands of years down the road, Jesus would come at just the right time. And it was a perfect time, because some people say in, at the time when Christ came, all the roads that led to Rome, it was easy for the gospel to be spread out. It was just the perfect time for Jesus to come. And when he came, he did two things. What God did for you through Jesus was he redeemed you, And he adopted you. He says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He looked at you. He looked at humanity. And God said, they need some help. So I'm going to go myself. I'm going to send my son, the second person of the Godhead, to earth to become a man, sent from God, born of a woman. He's going to take on human flesh. And he's going to live in a real world. And he's going to follow the law like nobody else did, but he has to follow the law. And he will do it perfectly and completely for us because I'm going to buy them back. That's what it means to redeem. What God did for you through Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of his, was he saw you in your sin. When you're running away, he came to you. He said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to die for you so that I can purchase you back. And then he adopted us. Adoption is the most beautiful thing. And the answer to this question should shock us because we don't deserve any of this. We are slaves. How do slaves ever become sons? Slaves can become free and they can start their own life and maybe can have their own family. But for a slave to be adopted into the heir's house and become a son, it's unheard of. It's almost scandalous. It is scandalous. But that's what God did for you. He redeemed you, and then he just didn't set you free. He adopted you. He didn't just set us free and say, now just try to make it on your own. The Bible says that because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, he redeemed you, and then he adopted you to make you his son. And only Jesus could do that for us. Only Jesus could do that for us. The divinity of Jesus made him the son of God. The humanity of Jesus made him able to be redeemers of men. And the righteousness of Jesus, both his passive obedience, which is what was, he did on the cross. He had no control. He was just crucified for us passively. But it was also his active obedience, how he lived his life up until the point of the cross were all important. Somebody had to fulfill the law, and Jesus actively did that for 33 years on earth. So that when he went to the cross and passively was brutally murdered, he did it for you. So he could redeem you and so that he could adopt you. John Stath said, if he had not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or make them the sons of God. And they were all involved, it says, the father, the son. And he gave us this. The Holy Spirit. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into His heart. All three of them. We have a Trinitarian God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe in the three in one, you're not believing the God of the Bible. 
All three of them were actively involved in you becoming redeemed and adopted. And adoption back then was huge. These people would have known what it meant. For a slave, it happened very rarely. But every once in a while, somebody would so love their slave that they would say, I'm not just going to give you freedom. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you into my home. And they would totally change his name. They would completely throw out all his old clothes and give him brand new clothes. And everything that the free man owned now was owned by the former slave. So much so, back in Rome, to be adopted, you almost had more legal rights than if you were born an heir. That's how powerful adoption is and how powerful it was in that culture. When these people heard this, it would have blown them away and it should blow us away that God would come to us slaves in rebellion, give himself for us and redeem us and adopt us as his children. And there's nothing we could do to earn that. There's nothing we could do to deserve that. It was all the gracious, free will of God to, that, to us. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. We weren't crying out to God. You're not crying out to God now if you don't know God. But hopefully the Holy Spirit will wake you up to see the glorious gift of his son for you. Because God did this for us. And we could do nothing. What's the third question of the exam is this. What you are in Christ is you are a son. Paul says in verse 7, the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can cry, Abba, Father. It is an unbelievable word of intimacy. You are in. You are always in. You are a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Why don't we believe this? Why don't we fully embrace the gospel freedom that we have about being sons and live that way? Partly because I think some of us, we have a bad picture. I think all of us do a bad picture of what it means to have a good heavenly father or a good father at all because none of us have had dads that were perfect, have we? And none of us that are dads are perfect, are we? And so many times when we look at God, we automatically hear he's our father and we think, my dad was a jerk. My dad abused me. My dad was always angry with me. I never had a dad. How can God's not good if he's my father? My father was terrible. It's because we've had such a bad picture of what a father is. But just because we've had such a bad picture of what a father is doesn't mean the picture of a father is not good. And so we need to erase our bad picture of fathers and picture what a real good father is. And that's God. That's a picture of what God is. Someone wrote about what a good father is, the perfect father that really, even if you're 85 years old, this is the father you really want. And he says this, she said this, a father should be the first one a child would think of when communicating with, an, with when, an over, when overwhelmed by physical woes, psychological problems, confusing philosophies, con conflicting ideas as what to do next. A father is meant to be a shelter, a shelter shuts out wind, rain, ice, cold, heat, sand, pursuing mosquitoes or armies of men. A father is meant to be a strong tower of protection. The very word father should conjure up a feeling of safety and security, and I know that doesn't do it for many of us. 
For many people, it does not do, but that's not the picture of father. A father should do that. The shelter of, the shelter of God the Father shuts out dangers, but also shuts out one into the realities of fulfillment. The father the fulfillment pictured by a family around a fireside, communicating and sharing ideas as well as experiences in an atmosphere of warmth and caring, is meant to picture in a minimal way the perfection of God's fatherliness and being ready to listen and advise, give counsel and guidance. In his presence is fullness of joy. And Jesus was the ultimate representation of what God should be like, what a father should be like. Why do you think sinners and people who were living wicked lives, they liked to hang around Jesus? Why was that? Because Jesus pictured God for us. And in his presence was fullness of joy. Is that your picture of God? That's how, when you think of God, it's like, oh yes, Abba, Father. It's just goodness and joy. If not, you need to erase the picture of your dad. Erase the picture of your human father. That's not God. God is a good, gracious father. He is the fulfillment of joy. And when you should picture dad, you should be like, I can't wait to get around him. I can't wait to talk to him. I can't wait to hang out with him. I can't wait to tell dad, Abba, what's going on in my life. I can't wait because that's God. That's who God is. He is good. But what should we, we do with this? How do we respond to this? We need to embrace God this way. Maybe this morning you don't know God. Your right standing with God is confusing. You don't know your eternal state. You don't know if God is really your father. The good news about God is he came to let you know. Respond to him by faith. Trust that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he died on a cross for your sin, that he loves you. And if you will just come to him and embrace him, he will come into your life. Some of you, though, know God. You know Jesus. You've, you've passed the exam. You say, yes, I believe I'm a child. But you're living not in light of the gospel. You're still living in light of the law. And you feel guilty. You feel beat up, and you feel like you're a failure, and you feel like God doesn't love you, and you feel like God is not for you. It's not true. It's all a lie. God is absolutely for you. That's why he says in Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open up, he doesn't say, I stand at the door and knock, so clean up your house before I come in. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Just open the door. And some of you think, I, I know I love Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to know God that way. But it just seems like I have to do all these things and I'm so frustrated. You're failing the exam. You're not living in light of the gospel. Because the gospel says, when you know God, it is all grace and peace. He will clean up your mess. You don't have to clean up your mess. I just had this happen to me yesterday, and I totally understand it because I've done it with other people. They come to your house, and they, you, you, they knock on the door. You weren't expecting them, and the house is not clean. And so what do you do? Uh, you don't just say, hey, come on in. You step outside, shut the door. Hey, let's talk out here. It's a, nice, it's a nice day. That's not what God does. That is not what God wants you to do. That is not what God does. God says, you know what? I died for you. 
I loved you. I want you to be my son. I want you to have total inheritance that all that I have is yours. All of it is yours. With nothing that you do, nothing that you bring. But let me come in. Just open the door. I'll come in. And like a good father that you possibly cannot even imagine, I will help you clean up the house. I'll help you. You ever had a messy room? My mom used to do this, go clean the room. Couldn't do it by myself. It was absolutely overwhelming. My wife does this, and it's still absolutely overwhelming. But there are times when the, house, the, the bedroom was a dis- complete disaster, chaos everywhere, a burden, guilt, shame. I can't believe that this was discovered. You pulled that out from my bed. Oh, my goodness. Get out of here. God says he will come into your life like a good father, walk into each room of your life, and he'll say, I'll, I'll help you clean it. You can't pick that up? I can help you pick it up. You don't have to clean yourself up for me to come into your life. I will do that. But when my mom would come into my room, or my dad would come into the room, and they were going to say, I'm going to make sure this room gets clean, the room would get clean. Because I would do my effort, and then they would come in. If I couldn't figure out where to put something, they would say, I'll take that for you. That's what God does. That's the freedom that we have in the gospel. Who you are in Christ is a son of God. It's our hope, and it's not just for the past. It's for the future. It gives us hope for the future. We are heirs of an unbelievable inheritance that's never going to go away. So the grace that you need tomorrow will be there. The grace that you need this afternoon will be there. The grace that you need five years from now will be there. We are not debtors to God. God says, look at the cross. Look what I did for you. It has nothing to do with you. I gave it to you freely by my grace. So look at that and be thankful. But don't feel you have to pay me back. Just look at that and realize that still has continual effects because now I am his child. Now I own everything that God owns. I am his son. So tomorrow, he's going to be there for me. Two years from now, because of that, I have all this and that will never change. Some of you really just need to sit down and look at Galatians chapter 4, 7 and go over it all week. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And say, yes, that's who I am. I am a son and daughter because of Jesus. That's my hope. My life can be changed. I'm struggling with this, but my life can be changed. I don't have to fix this. I needed to let God fix this. And God does it this way. You say, I don't feel like God's around me right now. I feel very lost. I feel like God's abandoned me. It's not true. It is absolutely not true. The Bible says in Psalms 46.1, God is is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Some of you, I know, are going through times when it just seems like God's not there. It seems very dark. You're like, where's God? Paul, I, I hear that, but I don't see God. If God is there. He's very present. He's like, though, a father who's a good father who has you in this messy room. And he's cleaning it up. And he's saying, fix this. And fix this. And he's allowing you to take some time to decide where you're going to put this. And if it gets too difficult, he's going to sweep in and 
you're going to sense it unbelievably. He'll take over. But in the meantime, a good father just doesn't let you, doesn't just do all the work for you. A good father helps you get where you need to go. So if it's dark right now, if it's kind of a lonely place, you don't think God is there? God is there. God is a very present help in trouble. Some of you really need to hear that. God being a very present help in trouble doesn't mean the trouble is not going to be there. It just means that he is absolutely there, and you're his son. You're his son. You are you're an inheritor of all that God is. You're his son. He wants you to know that who you are in Christ, you are his child. There is nothing you can do about it. Have you passed the exam? Do you see yourself, or did you see yourself as a slave? Do you really believe that God came and sent Jesus for you? And do you really see yourself as a son? Because if you see yourself as a son, you're going to be free. You're going to be unbelievably free to live radically and to risk unbelievably. Because you know that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter, no matter what happens to me, the resources are God are mine because I'm an heir. I own it. So even if I don't see God right now, I'm still an heir. I own it. It is mine. All the treasures of God are mine. We need to remind ourselves of the hope that we have. That is our hope for the future. There's a song I'm going to close with. I just feel like I could say this over and over to some of you to you. Just believe this. This week, see yourselves as sons and daughters of God. Trust the gospel. Let yourself be free. Let yourself be free. That's what God is saying. Examine yourself and put your hope in him. The song says, my hope is in you. My hope is in you, Lord, all, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. A peace that passes understanding is my song, and I sing, my hope is in you, Lord. I wait for you, and my soul finds rest. In my selfishness, you show me grace. I worship you, and my heart cries, glory, hallelujah. Father, you are here. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. A peace that passes understanding is my song, and I sing, my hope is in you, Lord. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. You can have that as a son and love the gospel because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God wants us to live in hope and in faith and in grace and in peace. And with this confidence, he does not want us walking around saying this, oh, bad thing happened to me. God's not a good God. No, God's always a good God. We are not good, but by God's grace, we have become his sons, and it should blow us away and know that we have unbelievable hope every single time. Live in the freedom of the gospel and stand, and stand and celebrate and rejoice that you are a son, an heir of God, through faith by God alone. That's our hope. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, God, well, we need to believe this. Holy Spirit, we need you to drive this deep into the heart of Cornerstone Church. God, we need to see ourselves as sons and daughters of you, that we have this unbelievable inheritance, that our hope is in you, so that every time a problem comes, we don't say we're done or we're going to walk away. We can just hold on tight to the promise 
of who we are in Christ. God, you give us grace and you give us peace and you give us hope, God. When we start to live by law, we lose that. So God, give us the grace to hold on to the, the hope of the gospel. Well, if there's someone here this morning who needs to see Jesus as that awesome treasure, I pray that you'd wake them up to their need and they would trust you today. Give us grace and the strength that we can stand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. the brain.